I'm sure you're all familiar with the good news, bad news scenarios that happen many times. Maybe you've heard them in jokes, some other things like the good news, bad news for the one father who got a call from his son from college. He said, Dad, I've got good news and bad news. And the dad said, you know, son, I'm really in the middle of a project. I don't have a whole lot of time. Just give me the good news. And the son said, well, Dad, the good news is the airbag on the car really works well. Or like the guy who was an artist and his stuff was at a gallery. He got a call from the gallery owner who said, you know, there was a woman in here today looking at all your paintings. Well, that's, that's great, he said. And in fact, she inquired of me. She asked, if after you died, did the value of the paintings go up? And I said to her, well, yeah, that usually typically is what happens. And so she said, great. And she bought every one of your paintings. He said, well, that's really good. What's the bad news? She said she was your doctor. I say that because today in the gospel lesson that we just heard, Jesus is delivering good news and bad news to his disciples. Two things. He talks in the immediate about the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. And then he talks about the future and his return, both of them contained in those words. First, the temple, that restored temple that they worshipped at. It was a beautiful place. It was a stunning place. Some have said that it was probably one of the most impressive buildings in the Roman Empire in those days. It took up 36 acres of land, 27 football fields. It had giant stones, some that they said that weighed 34 tons. Many of them were made out of white marble, so they shone on their own, but many of them were laid over with gold so that the sun reflected them. It was said that at a distance as you came to Jerusalem, you could see the temple and it glowed like a diamond in the distance because of the reflection of the sun. Truly an impressive structure in their place of worship. But Jesus tells his disciples This place that you see that seems like it is eternal, that it is forever, will be utterly destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. The disciples just couldn't imagine that. Couldn't imagine that the center of their worship life would be gone. It was everything. It could never be gone. It was built to last. But Jesus wanted their faith. Founded not in something that looked like it was, would last, but in something that was eternal. You see, he was illustrating to them and to us how easy it is in our lives to put our faith and our hope and our trust in this world in things that we can see, in things that we can touch, in things that will not last and that are not, are not true faith reality. How many of you, if I were to ask in your life, buy what are called knockoffs in life? And be careful if you say, well, I never buy knockoffs. I would say probably you do and you just don't even think about it anymore. If you've ever been to Costco and you buy the Kirkland brand, you're buying a knockoff or the Kroger brand or the Meyer brand. There are knockoffs all over our world, especially, we know, in the fashion industry. Knockoff of purses, of watches, of shoes, of clothes, even 
in our world, there are some knockoff football teams. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, statistics say that the counterfeit, the knockoff industry, grosses over half a trillion dollars a year. That's a staggering amount to think of all of the things that are made to duplicate something else that is real. And so I say we are all used to buying something that is counterfeit or a knockoff. But it's one thing to buy something. It's a totally another thing to believe in something that is a knockoff. You see, because of our human condition, our sinful human condition, we tend in our lives to continue to focus on the here and now, to focus on the things that we can see and we can touch and we can taste and we can feel and we can own and we can have. And often because of that, we transfer those things into what we believe. We hear the word hope. And it can seem like it's something that is distant and it's hard to grasp. It's not tangible. It's far off. We can't hold it in our hands. You know, Judaism and the disciples, that temple was something that was tangible to them. But the problem is it was truly a knockoff. You see, the book of Hebrews illuminates that for us, and I want you to see some of these verses. Hebrews 8.5, as it talks about the high priests and their service there. They, the high priests, serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. It was big. It was impressive. It seemed like it would last forever, but it wasn't the real thing. It was just a copy, just a knockoff of what heaven was like. And the things that went on there, the services that took place, the ceremonies that were there, those were knockoffs too that couldn't accomplish what would be accomplished when Jesus would come. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says this, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see, it was never meant for the temple to supplant the real. But it took on a life of its own. It did supplant the real and it took on a life in instead ritual that the people thought was true religion. The real, like the word hope, can only be found in one place, and that's Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and always, who does not change. And Jesus said to his disciples those two things, first about the temple being destroyed, but second about his return one day. 
You know, as you think about it in our world, there are a lot of opinions on the second coming. There are a lot of people who write books, and I'd say a lot of knockoffs of what the real thing is. Recently, one televangelist wrote a new book, and he claimed that this is everything that you ever need to know about Jesus and the end times. You must have this book. All the while, flashing below the screen, a toll-free number and the price of $14.95. Well, a friend related to me that uh, a pastor friend of his called in to that toll-free number and spoke to an operator. He said, you know, I just got to ask you a question about this book. If this book is so vital to survive the end times and the world events, shouldn't the author be giving it away to everybody? I mean, I know you have printing costs, but really, making money off of it doesn't make much sense. If the end is coming and it tells you all this, you're not going to need a bank account anyway. The operator responded, sorry, sir, she said, I don't know that much about theology. To which the pastor replied, neither does the author of the book you're selling. So many of us want to talk and want to know about that return of Jesus, looking in all these places, hearing all these things, and we can see all the stuff that's involved and all the things and all the predictions, but in that we miss the who, who it is that's returning, not just what will be taking places. You know, knockoffs like that are substitutes for the real thing. They claim that they are just like the real thing, but the problem is they can't deliver. Jesus didn't just deliver, as I said, news about the temple. He delivered good news to his disciples about what was real, about what would be forever, about his return, and about him. You know, the verses in Hebrews that we just read go on to talk about the difference between the temple and what Jesus is. Hebrews 9.24 says this, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And 1 John 1.17 reminds us, as we might think about those sacrifices of bulls and goats, that the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. We need to hear the real, because there seems to be so much fear bound up in Jesus' return. We hear that word that he comes to judge the earth and suddenly we can forget all that Jesus did on this earth for us and all he won for us. We need to remember that even though the future can seem distant and maybe even unapproachable, in Jesus it is real. And for us, we have this hope. Hope that isn't bound up in a 1499 book, but hope that is real and eternal and is found in Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis said a very simple statement as he pondered the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. He said this, When the author appears on stage, you know that the play is over. You see, we have this hope 
that the author and finisher of our faith will take one day the world's stage, and he will come in glory, and he will come with all his angels, and we as his people are those who will rejoice to see him. As the psalmist said today, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. You see, the knockoff things of this life that so often we put our trust in, that we think can fix everything, that we think are permanent, things like governments and institutions, Buildings and finances, whatever, they do not last, they cannot deliver. Only one thing is real and not temporary, and only one can deliver true hope. Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And one day he will return. And he wants all of us to know this. And he will ask the question, did we trust in the knockoffs or did we trust in him? Was our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus? And if the answer was yes, then we have no fear. For we are his. He claims us through the waters of our baptism. And Jesus says, then lift up your head, for I am your redemption. You know, the psalmist says that he comes to judge in righteousness. Righteousness, holiness, is Jesus alone to possess. And when he comes to judge us, he gives that to us because it is his. The knockoff religions of the world tell us that it's something that we must attain. We must make ourselves righteous by a pathway, by a list, by what we do. But Jesus, the true judge, comes to bring us hope because he comes to give to us that eternal righteousness. The real, true, and eternal God through the blood of his Son makes us righteous, makes us holy, makes us pure, makes us clean. So there is no fear. We can lift up our heads, for Jesus is our redemption. This is the hope that we have when he returns in his glory. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for this sure and certain hope that our eyes will see you, the eternal, the real, the one who brings to us your own righteousness, that gift that you give. Thank you, Lord, for coming for us again. Thank you for hope that is bound in you and not temporary things. May our eyes truly see through the eyes of faith the one who has given us all things, that we may rejoice, that we may clap our hands, that we may sing for joy, knowing that you are our Savior, our Lord, and our King. In your name, amen.